Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. I have four core values that I use in my life they're things that are important to me. They drive success for me. So personal, professional, with my family, here at church, everything, these four values help to guide decisions, the small everyday decisions and the really big life decisions as well. I believe these hold me accountable. I believe they make me a better man. And one of them is enthusiasm. And I actually stole this idea from a company that I worked for, Dan in Orlando. It was the best job you could ever imagine. It was one of our core values as a company. And this was my job interview experience. Crowd surfing, a live concert, and a really big dance party. And that was my introduction to this company. And I signed on immediately. The job was crazy awesome. We went to Cancun every year in December. We had a great time at company meetings at bowling alleys and on stand-up paddle boards. Office shenanigans happened nearly every single day. And of course, there was a lot more crowd surfing as well. The enthusiasm on this job was infectious. I loved it. There was no bad day at this job because of how enthusiastic everybody was. It changed life, and I saw how powerful it was. So after I left that company, I stole that and made it mine. And with everyone that I experience, I want them to experience enthusiasm. And for most of the year, I feel like I do pretty well, but then Thanksgiving hits and Christmas smacks me in the face and my enthusiasm in December just drains to the floor. My friends actually call me the Grinch and I take a little bit too much pride in being called the Grinch every year at Christmas time. But as I started writing this sermon today, I started to think, why is that? This is something that is so important to me that it guides success and is a personal core value. And every December, I fail to live up to it. Maybe you can connect with me on this. December is hard. It becomes laborious. And if you're just being really downright honest, you kind of can't wait for Christmas to go away back in Xboxes and for January to get here and real life to begin again. There's the busyness, there's the shopping, crazy people with their Christmas spirit. Last Sunday, my wife and I actually sat down and we planned out our December calendar together. We print it off, we put it on the refrigerator, everything is on there, we see it every day. I don't care if that sounds really nerdy, it's great for us. Less surprises mean less arguments, which means everybody wins in the end. And so we're looking at our events that are happening in December, and there's a department party for me, there's donuts with Santa for her, there's family Christmas, which like family Christmas is cool, everybody's vibing, it's good. If there's tension, it's usually not there at all. If there's silence, it's not awkward. And you got extended family Christmas, which is just like a little bit different. You kind of have to put on your happy face like, hey, good to see you again. Let's do this again next year. And then we go back to our separate lives. And then you have really extended family Christmas, which I did last year, last night, actually, with about 75 strangers up in Pennsylvania. And it's like, I don't even know who that dude is. I just call him shrimp dude because every year he brings shrimp to the party. 
And beyond that, you have your church parties, of course. You have cookies exchanges. You have gift exchanges. You have child exchanges. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. I'm just making sure you're still tracking with me. But I think you get the idea. December is crazy. And when we were planning this out, we had to say no to things because we're already worried that we're pushing our two little girls too hard. We know what happens. They get less sleep. They get sick. We take time off of work. Everybody's frustrated, and it just gets really, really stressful. And to to be honest with you, it was not fun planning out our December calendar. It was very tense in the room. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but it got off to a really bad start. And all of this busyness and distraction is perfect for what we're talking about today, which is being distraction-free and focusing on relationships. And it doesn't matter who you are. Some of us in the room love Jesus. Some of us are a little bit skeptical. Maybe you're here and you don't even want to be here this morning. Regardless, distractions, especially in this month of December, is something that we can all identify with. And the good thing is, if you're connecting, if you're like me, and this sounds really familiar, it's not just you, first of all. Second of all, this has been happening for a very, very long time. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Let's put the brakes on for just a minute. As you just saw, that comes from a book called Luke. Luke is a book in the New Testament of the Bible. And Luke was not one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his 12 disciples, but he was very close to Jesus. And so after Jesus was gone, Luke wrote down all the stories that happened when Jesus was here on earth. And this is one of those stories. But put yourself in the woman's shoes for a minute. She opens up her home to Jesus and to all of his best friends. We have the vantage point of being able to look back 2,000 years and see who Jesus is. But at that time period, some people thought Jesus was exactly who we know him to be now. Some people really didn't like him at all. And some people thought he was just this cool dude who could just turn out miraculous tricks for people. But everywhere that Jesus went, he made waves, and now this dude was coming into her house, and he's bringing his best friends. So there are at least 13 people coming over for dinner. For some of you, you're like, yep, this sounds like a party. For me, I'm like, uh, Rachel, you invited how many people over for dinner? Like, you know we live in an apartment, right? Where are we going to put everybody? 13 people? Let's just bring the whole complex over. Just invite them all next time. How are we going to make this much food? That's where my mind would go to. Also, it's just Jesus we're talking about here. He's only the son of God. So if you screw it up, it's no big deal. No, this is a very big deal. All hands on deck in the kitchen. Did you find out what Jesus likes to eat? I don't know. He's Jesus. Everything. Well, what about drinking? Should we have alcohol? Should we have wine? Should we hide the wine? What are we doing with the wine? Uh, I don't know. Just give him a cup of water. It's all the same anyways. He'll figure it out. (laughs) Kids, get in there and clean up all your toys. Clean up this mess. Out of here. Gone. Get rid of all the toys. This is Jesus after all. Wait a minute. Let's keep two of every animal. I bet he's going to like that one. That'll be cool. 
Listen, I'm cheesy, I know it, I can't embrace it. That's how I would be thinking. But Martha, in her own way, is thinking the exact same things. Look at what the story tells us what happens next. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord... Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, we read this and we see the story developing, but what we don't see is the cultural context of what is happening. There's a big shock factor that we miss. From time to time, I talk about it. Some of you know that I lived in Uganda in East Africa for a time period. I wear Africa around my neck. And when I lived there, on occasion, we got to go into locals' homes in northwest Uganda and eat meals with them. It was a very special experience. It was also a very cultural experience. And the only time when I was in somebody's home that a woman came into my presence where the men were was to serve the food. The only time a woman talked to me at all in that culture is when I went to market to buy food. And there were plenty of people around to see the interaction. And this culture that Jesus and Mary and Martha find themselves in is very similar A woman sitting around with all the men listening to their conversation? Are you kidding me? There's food to get prepared. And that sounds harsh in our 21st century American society, but that's a very natural thought for people who are watching this develop. For Mary, this is strike one and strike two. She's ignoring the work and she's hanging out with all the men. But Martha, on the other hand, is us in December. She's worried. She's worried about all the details. Is the food ready? What still needs to be cooked? Is the oven at the right temperature? Is it all coming together at the same time? Get our guests get a drink or at least get offered a drink when they walked in the door? Did you take their coats? We can't serve uh, plates. What do we do? China's trying way too hard, but I can't serve plastic to my guests. This is Martha. She's worried and she is distracted, so distracted that she can't even focus on the people that she invited into her house. And if this doesn't scream us as a culture, especially in December, I don't really know what does. Your calendar, my calendar fills up this month and we're go, 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 go. And we lightly sprinkle in some relationships and post it on social media for good measure. I am not a good cook. I'm not even a mediocre cook. Friday morning, I tried to be the cool dad and make my girls pancakes when they woke up for like a special breakfast together. We made six pancakes and we threw two of them away because they were burnt to a crisp on the outside and still gooey and runny on the inside. And they were a gross mess. I tried to be like, yo, this is just molten lava pancakes. It's cool. They weren't having it. They saw right through it. I am not a good cook. But even I know The stuff that you lightly sprinkle on your recipes, that's what really makes it pop. But it's not the main ingredient. We are trying to make Christmas pop, but we have it backwards. 
We're too focused on distractions and not enough on relationships. Jesus gets this. We know that, we, that Jesus gets this because we see how he responds to Martha. She just goes to Jesus and she's complaining to him. She's like, yo, tell my sister to put on her apron and come get to work. And Jesus, let's look at this again. He says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, prioritize people and relationships over distractions. Why are you worried and upset about food when I'm literally right here in your house? For you and me today, that might sound something like this. CT, will you please shut down ESPN for a night and talk to your wife? Hang out with her. Leave the laundry in the dryer for a couple hours. It's not going anywhere. Go play with your kids instead. Get off the couch and don't be by yourself again tonight. Go initiate plans instead of waiting for somebody to text you. And if you believe in Jesus, stop the Christmas insanity and the busyness and spend time with Jesus. Just be with him. And that can be a hard concept to grasp, I realize. What does it look like to be with Jesus? So it might look like this. Read the story of the birth of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if they're young like mine or if they're old. As a family, read the story of the birth of Jesus. If you have a friend group, get your friends together and read the story of the birth of Jesus. Volunteer together. There are so many outlets and ways that you can volunteer and give back this month. Invite people to Christmas Eve services. Not only that, but be here and be present with them. Sit with them. Invite them out to dinner or have them over to your home for dinner afterwards. Send them home with cookies. Do something to be intentional to invite people to experience the Jesus and the church that you experience. Last week, Michael told us how his family values going to a Christmas tree farm, cutting down that tree, and bringing it into their home because it's the experience that they get to do together. I know he talked about this last week, but we're going to dig deeper into this idea of experiences because I don't even think Michael knows how awesome this idea is. It has been studied in academic circles for a year. By trade, I'm a professor. This is what I do. Us nerdy academic professors, we study things like this. And there's a guy from Cornell University. He's a psychology professor and researcher. His name is Thomas Gilovich, and he studies the idea of experiences versus things and happiness. And since 2003, he's been doing multiple studies, and his research has proved spending money on experiences provides more enduring happiness than stuff. And it's not just the experience itself, it's the anticipation of that experience. Gilovich talks about how it's much more relaxing to dream about laying on a beach or being at Disney or going to that cabin in the lake, whatever your vacation looks like. That's much more relaxing and brings happiness than waiting for your new iPhone 11 or whatever you order off of Amazon Prime to come in the mail. 
Last year, I finally finished school, and because of that, my wife got me a trip that we were going to take together to celebrate being done with school. I didn't know where. I didn't know when. Didn't know what to pack. I didn't even know if our kids were coming or if it was just us. Some of you, that freaks out to no end, but that speaks to who I am as a person. I love that, and the anticipation of waiting for her to say, get in the car, let's go, was awesome. I loved that experience. His research also proves that there is a logical but incorrect assumption that if you spend money on stuff, it makes you happy. And it does for a while. So he thinks about stuff. He talks about new gadgets, new cars, go crazy, new big, ginormous house. All of this stuff we think brings us happiness, but then we adapt to them. And we live with them every single day, and they fade into the background of life. And as they fade, so too does that happiness as well. So the researchers, the experts will tell you, rather than buying somebody a new car or a new gadget, we should spend money on Going to art exhibits, museums, spending time outside together, learning new skills, traveling together. All of these things create memorable relationships and memorable moments together. And check this out. Have you ever had a bad experience? Maybe you go to a restaurant that everybody is raving about and you're like, eh, that was okay. One of the last times I preached in the past, I was trying to say the phrase established cities, but the words came out too fast, and I ended up swearing in front of the whole entire live audience. It was a bad experience, but it was a very memorable experience. On that same line, I don't have time to tell you all the reasons why our honeymoon was so bad. It's that thing that you look forward to together as husband and wife for the first time, but it was so bad that we left days early, came back to America, and got a medical attention right away. We got the for worse, uh, for better and worse out the way, right the way. But what's really cool is the research says even for those experiences, those crappy experiences, they bring happiness too. They create connection, and that's what bonds us together. It's not consumption, it's connection. So let's break this down into two very practical application points. Because we can't be like Mary, distraction-free and focused on Jesus and relationships, unless, in fact, we are distraction-free. The first one is less screen time. Unfortunately, all too often, we just associate with kids and how long they should or should not have a screen in front of them. But first of all, let me just tell you, relax. I'm not going to tell you to throw this thing away or that it is evil. I have one. You have one. We all use them. We all love them. Technology and media are great. They provide connection and identity and relationships and give us things to talk about. But they also are distractions that get in the way of our relationship with others and if we choose Jesus as well. I'm the perfect test case for this. A few months ago, I was spending far too much time on Facebook and Twitter, two social media outlets, and I was just endlessly and aimlessly scrolling for no reason. I even made a game out of this to where I said, okay, once I get to something that I think is really important, I'm going to shut it down and be done and get back to work. You know how this goes, 15 minutes. 
20, 30, 45 minutes later, still scrolling. I had a problem, and I knew this needed fixed, so I told myself, okay, keep one, pick one, and only one. And since I'm old, I chose the older form of social media. I kept my Facebook. I tried to figure out how to delete Twitter, but honestly, I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to deactivate my account. So it's out there somewhere, but I also got rid of both of the apps off of my phone. So instead of having just one easy step access into an app, I deleted both of them. And now anytime I want to try to log into Facebook, I have to go to my browser, open up a new tab, and I force myself to log in, username and password every time I want to use Facebook. And maybe you're saying, oh, wow, big deal, one step to three steps. But that actually is a very big deal. That much harder to get on Facebook makes me interested in using it way less than I ever Imagine. Also, right now, I'm at 31% on my phone. This is not staged for this sermon. It is very, very atypical for my phone to ever be charged past 50%. And this forces me to conserve because I don't have the battery power to be wasting it on frivolous activities. If you make it harder to access your social media, you spend less time on social media. However, that's just half the battle. It's not the distractions themselves. It's also the things that distractions are keeping us from. I think about it like this. Every night in our apartment with our two little girls, and when we go to put them to bed, we turn on their sound machine that makes white noise. And so then Rachel is usually the one who puts them both to bed. I go to the kitchen, clanging around dishes, cleaning up for the night. We watch shows, we talk, we do whatever we do at night, but we have no fear of waking them up because we know that their sound machine is the white noise that drowns us out. Spending less time on social media is great, but what's the deeper issue? Is social media your white noise that is masking something deeper? Until you come to grips with that, you're you're just going to take out social media and replace it with somebody else, something else. Dave Ramsey, he's a financial expert. We talk about him from time to time here. He has a radio show where people call in, everyday people like us, and they say, hey, I got this problem. Can you help me take care of it? So he's on the phone with this woman. She's calling in, and she says, Dave, I got this problem. I cannot stop buying shoes. He's like, okay, well, let's just start at the beginning. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Dave, I don't know, but I know when I open my closet door, they literally fall down and surround me on the floor. Dave's like, okay, we got ourselves a problem here. So Dave starts asking her some questions, and he's like, well, when do you go and buy your shoes? And they talk for a couple of minutes, and they have this aha moment where she realizes for the first time The shoes are her white noise. See, she'd been through a terrible divorce, which led to split custody with the kids. And every time that she went to go drop off her kids to their father on the way home, she instinctively went and bought a pair of shoes. She went and bought another pair of shoes until she has a closet full of shoes. And until this phone call, she didn't realize that she was trying to use shoes to fill a family-sized void in her life. Is your consumption of social media masking something deeper? 
It could just be that you are hooked on social media because that industry and those companies are very good at their jobs, and that is exactly what those things are designed and intended to do, but it could be that you have white noise in your life. There's a guy named Clay Scroggins who wrote about this idea of white noise and deeper emotions, and he says we need to turn down the white noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious about our emotions. So what's your white noise that could be a distraction? Well, spouses, what does your time look like if you have kids after the kids are in bed? Are cable and Netflix and video games really that exciting? Are we just kind of avoiding each other? Do you really have to log all those hours at work? Or are you just running away from something? That person you can't bring yourself to face, maybe even God himself who you can't bring yourself to face, is it because you don't think that you actually deserve forgiveness? What is your white noise? Second application point is to rethink gift giving. Now, again, I'm not saying gifts are bad. We do them in our house. We love them. We look forward to them. But there is a better way to do gift giving so that they are not distractions. To connect back to our last application point, don't give any new technology or anything that has a screen on it as a gift. If you don't want you or your family to be distracted, stop giving permission for that to happen with the gifts that you give. I see and talk to a lot of parents who are frustrated that kids won't spend time with them or their kids won't open up to them. And in some cases, that could be because from a very early age, as young as babies, you're telling them, stop spending time with me and go spend time with your media and with your screen. Put your foot down with extended family. Tell them, if you buy this, I'm returning it and taking it back. Instead, give the gift of time. Oh, yeah, like that lame thing that people have to give when they don't have any real money to spend on presents. Okay, keeping up with the Joneses, how's that working out for you? I am the Dave Ramsey guy at our church. We are having a new class in February. Yes, you should be there. And no, it is not worth it to go into debt over Christmas. And that is a shallow and mean stereotype. It is the smart people who have figured out how powerful time is as a gift. I was reading a book this summer about smart money management and how do you teach those principles to your kids? As young as three years old, how do you introduce them to what is wise financial practices? And the author says, without fail, with every one of his children on their birthdays, he gives the gift of time instead of material things. So find out what people close to you enjoy and give gifts around that. I have a three-year-old daughter, and she loves Chick-fil-A milkshakes. Now, full disclosure, so do I. That is besides the point, but she loves Chick-fil-A milkshakes. And the first time she got one, it came with a cherry on top, and the little red dye kind of started to bleed into, uh, into the milkshake. And she didn't like that because she thought the milkshake was actually bleeding. So when we go to Chick-fil-A, she orders her milkshake without boo-boos. Do not ruin that for her. We have not corrected her. It's great. Don't ruin that for us as parents either. But I should be giving the gift of a boo-boo-free milkshake and time together. If you have kids, 
Give them a coupon that says, I'm coming to pick you up at lunchtime from school, and we're going to do whatever you want to with the rest of the afternoon. For the servant heart in your friend group, set aside specific time to volunteer together. Tell your spouse, if you have kids, hey, I'm taking the kids this morning. I'm taking the kids this evening. You go out and you do something that you love and have fun. I enjoy playing golf. I am so bad at golf that I actually get to enjoy golf because it's fun and it's peaceful for me. But we've lived here for three and a half years and I've played golf one time because it takes a four or five hour time block. Take this thing, your phone, put it away. If you're with family, if you're with friends, it doesn't matter. Put your phone away and eat dinner together. These are the types of gifts that require thoughtfulness and creativity, all of which are worth way more than that shiny new toy. If you want to go crazy with it, tell your family, next year we're not spending any money on gifts. Whoa. Instead, we're going to take a trip together or we're going to have crazy fun doing creative things to give all of that money away instead. Let me start to wrap us up by asking you, do you remember the Bernstein Bears books? <laughs> I love the Bernstein Bears books. And now that I'm a dad, I get to read them again. So we went to the public library recently and we checked out the Bernstein Bears and Too Much Vacation. Now, I'm not going to read you the whole book, but here's the premise. The four of them, the Bear family sets out for a vacation together in the great, wild, grizzly mountains. They have these expectations of a beautiful cabin right next to this picturesque lake. We're going to eat fresh-caught trout, eat wild berries, best vacation we ever had. But you remember what I said about how sometimes experiences are awful. Well, long story short, Papa Bear's special stew was disgusting. They shared the cabin with mice and spiders. The wild berries were still sour. The lake looked like mud soup. Animals kept them up all night. Mosquitoes ate them up every night. And they got caught in a rainstorm to come back to a vacation cabin filled with holes. And they were soaked the whole entire night. The next morning, they woke up and they left their fabulous vacation and went home early. But here's the cool thing. The next day, Mama took the film to the camera store to be developed. When the pictures came back a few days later, the Bear family wrote titles on them. They began to chuckle as they passed the pictures around. The chuckles grew to roaring laughter, and soon they were laughing so hard they cried. And every so often throughout the years, they take out those pictures and have an absolutely wonderful time enjoying the worst vacation they ever had. Experiences enhance relationships, even bad experiences. Less screen time. Rethink gift giving. But Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. He says to her, and he's saying to us, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing, one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray.
God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you that you are the source of a distraction-free life. We thank you that we find that in you. And in this time of December and Christmas and busyness and expectations, I pray that you give us that distraction-free life to focus on the relationships we have with people around us, and if we choose to, to focus on our relationship with you as well. It's in your son's name. Amen.